Welcome to the Modern Manifestation Podcast. I'm your host, Bree Brown, a business mindset coach, entrepreneur, and a top competitor in a male-dominated industry. I'm a native Texan, the youngest of all brothers, and a lettuce-hating, wine-loving, curses-like-a-sailor recovering perfectionist. I've spent over a decade building my commission-based career, and my life's purpose is helping other women achieve the same multi-six-figure success I achieved before I was 25. I have a passion for helping women with mindset, money, and manifestation skills to help every young woman realize her full potential. If you're looking for vulnerable conversations, professional development, inspiration, or even a kick in the ass to get you motivated, you have come to the right place. Thanks for checking out the Modern Manifestation Podcast. Now let's jump right in to today's topic. Hello, hello, my Modern Manifestation family. How are you? I hope you're having a fantastic week. And as promised, this week I am bringing you a conversation with a sex therapist. We're talking about sex, baby. (laughs) I am so excited to have Susan Morgan Taylor join us today. The conversation is phenomenal. She covers so many juicy topics as it relates to your femininity and sexuality. Like I always say, manifestation is all about who you are and how you live your life every day. And your identity plays such a huge factor into what you're able to manifest. And this covers everything, y'all. Not just money, not just mindset, not just career. This includes your sex life. Are you empowered and are you enjoying your sex life too? So I wanted to bring on a sex therapist to bring that perspective and talk about sex openly to give you some ideas or to give you some things to think about when it comes to manifesting your best life and really living in harmony holistically. And Susan is the best person to help us have this conversation. Susan Morgan Taylor, MA, is a specialist in women's sexuality and feminine spirituality. I could not think of a better person to bring on to have this discussion with you all. And with that, let's just jump right into it because I know you're probably dying to get into this topic. Susan, how are you? I am doing so well, Brie. Thank you so much for having me today. Anytime. I can't tell you honestly how excited I am to have you. Yeah. <laughs> and I went on Instagram and was like, Everyone send me your sex questions. This is amazing. I'm going to have her for a solid hour and we're going to talk about sex. So send me every question you have. And I got a lot of great feedback from that. So I can't wait to ask not only the questions I have, but that others have as well. So thank you for joining. You're so welcome. And I just love it. That's one of my favorite things is to just field questions from the community. Like what do people want to hear about? What do they want to know about? Where are they struggling? And just to be of service in that capacity. I love it. So that's I'm excited. Good. And just to kick things off so people can get to know a little bit more about you. I mean, obviously, we've already talked about the fact that you're a sex therapist. Yeah. But can you talk a little bit about what that means for people and why you're so passionate about the work you do? Absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to say is that sex therapists do not have sex with their clients. So I gotta make is that a question people ask? <laughs> I think it's an assumption people make when they hear sex therapists. A lot of people have seen that movie Sessions with, uh, was it Holly Hunter? Who was in that movie? I think it was Holly Hunter. Uh-huh. Um, it's Sessions. And it, that, that movie is actually about a sex surrogate, which is a, it is a valid line of work and so important and incredibly powerful and beautiful. Sex surrogates actually have intimate relationship for the purpose of healing and educating their client about sex and intimacy. It's really beautiful. Mm, and and there's, I just think it's just such an amazing profession and very few people in that profession, but it actually requires training and, you know, skills. But, but a sex therapist, when you hear that term, sex therapists don't have sex with their clients. Sex therapists are, for the most part, we are licensed mental health professionals. Now, there might be some people out there using that term that aren't necessarily licensed, but they have other training and maybe sex coaching, which is totally legitimate as well. So for the most part, sex therapists, we don't have sex with our clients. So I just want to make that clear right off the bat. What we do, though, is we help people in the realm of 
sex and intimacy specifically. So I love my job because I get to help people in the area of sex. I talk about sex all day long. I help specifically my specialty area is women's sexuality. So my passion is really about helping women and couples who feel shut down to sex for whatever reason, really be able to reconnect and What I say, my line is ditch the self-sacrifice, find their voice and get back to love. So that's really what I do. And I'm passionate about women's sexuality specifically, partly because I had my own sexual awakening back in 2011, where the aha moment that hit me was that we are like pleasure, orgasm and love are actually natural states that exist already within our own bodies. It's not anything that somebody can bring to us from the outside. And I had been in a marriage for 10 years where I really was not happy for a lot of reasons. And I wasn't sexually satisfied either. And I had always made my husband responsible for that. Like I just decided, Mm -hmm. well, he's just not a good lover because, you know, it was missing the spiritual depth that I longed for and the emotional depth and this connection that I really wanted that just wasn't there. So instead of like taking time to figure out my own self and my own body and how my sexual energy worked, I just kind of blamed him. I put it all on him. And that was a really big mistake. So I ended up later down the line, I did end up leaving that marriage and (laughs) attracted the same kind of situation into my life again in my next relationship. And I had this aha moment of like, wow, like, hold on a minute here. This isn't, you know, this is not outside of me. Like, obviously, here it is showing up again. And I had the aha moment of realizing like I've never taken responsibility for my own pleasure. So I made a commitment to do that. And I started on a journey of self-exploration around my own sexuality. I decided I'm going to learn how my body works. I'm going to learn about my sexual energy. I'm going to figure out how to sensitize my genitals. I wanted to have that feeling of like, I've heard about full body orgasms, right? And in my head, I'm always like, oh, that's just for other people or that's not really possible for me. And then I said, well, why not? Like, why isn't that possible for me? Surely if other people can experience that, I can figure out how to find that pathway within my own body. So that's what I did. I just started working with my own body I made time every week to to be with my own body sexually and intimately. And I had a moment where all of a sudden, all this love and all this pleasure started to just roll and ripple through my whole body. And, and that was the moment where I realized like, oh my God, like nobody brings this to me. Like it's already in me. And all I have to do is remove the obstacles to it. That's what I learned. Mm. And, and in that moment, I realized like I could show any potential partner, I was single at the time, I could teach any partner how to activate that within me. They don't have to come to me pre-programmed all the already knowing because now I knew the pathway within myself. And I realized that I had been the one that had put up walls, that I was the one that was refusing to surrender, that I was the one that wasn't taking responsibility for my own experience in sex. I wasn't taking responsibility for my pleasure. I was making other my partner responsible for it. And I realized like, my God, if more women knew this pathway, if we knew how to find it within ourselves, the world would be a different place because I don't believe in this myth. You know, there's sort of that stereotype, you know, sex is for men. Like women don't like sex as much as men, which most of us know is not true. Anyone listening to this is probably like, well, I love sex. But there's that stereotype out there, right? Where it's like, oh, like men like sex and women don't. That's totally not true. But there's reasons why women shut down to sex over time, why we lose interest. And so it became my passion to start to share with women and with couples. I work a lot with couples and I also work with men, by the way, but to start to share this knowledge that I had found and really help people find that pathway to their own pleasure. That's why the name of my business is Pathway to Pleasure. Mm, Love that. So out of curiosity, how much of someone's orgasm is internal like how much of it has to come from yourself versus the the partner that you're having sex with well okay yeah let's think of that 100% of it comes from yourself so I think I'm not sure there's I have more to ask about that question so are you referring to like how much of it has to do with what your partner's doing to you or like where does the orgasm come from like let me clarify that before I launch into an answer 
Right. And I guess feel free to to guide me down whatever path you think makes more sense. But okay. I guess the, the question that I'm going down is just like when someone struggles to either have orgasms or yeah. they're just like, you know, this partner maybe isn't my sexual match for whatever yeah. reason, you know, the sexual chemistry just was not automatically there. It's like, right. well, how much of that is coming from your own mind and your own thoughts versus how much comes from like their skill level or their ability to physically arouse you? Well, right. And I, th- I love this question because first of all, orgasm, it, it's a natural state that actually is always available to us. We're just not present to it. We're blocking it. The same is true with pleasure like it's and love. Love is our natural state of being. Like we literally could feel in love every moment of every day if we took that on as an actual practice. And the reason that we don't is because we have things in the way like tension, stress, belief systems, shame, baggage and story that we put on relationships and these ideas about relationship. And all that stuff actually just gets in the way of our capacity to experience pleasure, love, and orgasm really just as a state of being. So orgasm is always something that's arising from within our own body. And first and foremost, we have to know our own bodies. It's not, we can't expect somebody else to know more about our own body than we know about it ourselves. So the very first step is taking time to really learn our own self. Where am I putting up a wall? Where am I resisting surrender? Where am I blocked to feeling pleasure? Many of us, we all have obstacles to pleasure and it's really just exists like on a, uh, on a scale, on a spectrum, right? So part of what I do as I work with women and couples is helping them expand their capacity for that. And the things that tend to shut it down are things like shame, resentment, negative emotions, guilt, right? All that kind of stuff are obstacles to our pleasure. So first we have to work within our own body, mind, spirit, soul, to start to learn how to relax, how to even cultivate sensation in the genitals. I know for me, when I first started out on my sexual exploration journey with myself, I didn't really have a lot of sensation in my clitoris, which was really weird because I couldn't handle direct stimulation. It was like, ah, but then when I actually took time to go down there and feel for myself, when I was able to allow myself to directly stimulate my clitoris, which had always been challenging. Like I could take indirect pressure, but you know, direct touch was like, get away. When I finally was able to relax into that space and touch my own clitoris, there wasn't a lot of sensation there. So I had to take time, like just being with that and like just saying yes to the numbness. And eventually what came up under that was all kinds of like anger, grief, frustration, sadness, tears, all this emotion came out. And then strangely enough, I started to have sensitivity. So we have to do that work first, you know, and then once we know our own bodies and what, you know, that we're sensitive, we kind of know this spot feels good. That spot doesn't feel so good. Then we can start to give voice to our desire with a partner, right? Like, Ooh, move here. Touch me there a little bit harder. Ooh, slow down. Like we actually are more in charge of our own desire. So that's really the first step. And then the second piece is, yeah, I do believe that I do. I don't know that you can just generate chem. Like if you really have no charge or attraction with somebody, I don't really believe that that can just be easily generated. I think in some situations, yes, sometimes it's a matter of just playing with the energies and the polarities of sex. There's certainly ways to play with that consciously so you can build erotic charge. But in other cases, sometimes I think like if it's just not there and it's then it's just not it might never be there with some Mm. people. Right. So there is Mm -hmm. a certain amount of just that energetic attraction and chemistry and pheromones, of course, we know have a huge impact on our desire and how we even choose a partner. You know, so I think it's a little bit of it's not either or it's a little bit of everything. And then also, you know, I do believe that we have the capacity to learn how to allow ourselves to receive pleasure really from anybody, right? That That is within our own hands, so to speak, literally. Like it's something that can be cultivated regardless of its, if it's sexual or non-sexual, but we can cultivate the capacity to receive, sense, receive and respond to sensation from really anybody. But the things within us that will block that you know, might be sometimes that we have ideas about what our partner should be, right? And we're on a date, say, Mm, mm who's not fitting those ideas. So we're just closing ourselves off. This isn't Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's another topic of conversation. um, (laughs) Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's complex and it's not black or white, but 
I think what I want to drive home to the listeners here is that it's really more of it is really within our control than I think we give ourselves credit for or that we even want to take responsibility for. I love that. And you touched on so many wonderful topics. And I was like, oh, God, I have too many questions coming up. This is going to be bad. <laughs> Bring it on. Um, Bring it on. <laughs> so there were a few things that you mentioned that I just was like, yes, that is so, so true. And and one of those being that a lot of women, we take on this role of like, I want to be empowered. I want to own my success. I want to own all these things. And yet so many of us are still not making that same connection to our sex lives right. and owning and asking for the things that we want there. And I don't know whether or not that has to do with guilt and shame and societal norms that have taught us to run from sex and that that is an unpure thing to do. Mm-hmm. But for the woman that might be having any of those thoughts of you know, shame or just maybe they're just embarrassed or don't know how to ask their partner for the things that they want. Do you have any tips for that woman or anything she can use to bridge that communication gap and and start to feel a little less awkward about making her needs known? Yes. Oh, I love this because it's such a huge one for women in particular. It happens with men as well, but especially with women, there's two things around this. Number one, you have to know what you want. And that's a huge obstacle, right? A lot of us, mm-hmm. A lot of women, a lot of people, a lot of men, everybody, we've never taken time. It happens more frequently, I feel like with women in general, we've never taken time to really figure out what the fuck we want. And, you know, so that's why like the spending time with your own body and figuring that out, why that's really the first step. The second piece is we have to get out of the mindset that we're hurting our partner's feelings or the fear of hurting our partner's feelings or feeling like we're selfish. Right. So, mm-hmm. so as women, we're really programmed to please, right? That's part of our survival, our evolutionary biological instinct is the instinct to please. It was a way that we kept ourselves safe, you know, way back in the early days before women were empowered and could be in the workplace, way back even in caveman days where we were just raising children, we needed the providership and protection of our partner. So as a way to maintain that, maintain our safety and survival, we needed to make sure our partner was happy. So, so we still have remnants of that that flow through. So it's just not a bad thing necessarily, except that it can be an unconscious inhibitor to our capacity for asking for what we need and even knowing what we need. So we have to understand that A, that, that piece is operating and B, it's really, you know, most men would be absolutely fucking thrilled if their partner would just speak up more about what she wants in bed, like they want to please us. And if we don't know what we want and they're just fumbling around trying to guess, maybe they get it right. Or maybe what worked on Friday doesn't work anymore on Sunday. And, you know, like that causes all kinds of confusion. So, you know, it's a gift that we give to our partner when we speak up for what we want and need. And then we have to, you know, there's a lot of other stuff around that too. There's fears of, well, I don't want to be selfish. Or um, what if I ask for something that I want and he doesn't want it? My partner doesn't want it. What if I speak up and they say no? You know, so we have all these things like tied into it that, again, these are obstacles to pleasure and obstacles to owning our desire that just need to be made conscious. And then we need to actively start to work through them. So I would just say those two things first is spend time with your body learn like what does feel good for you and then be brave and speak up Mm. and speak up too, by the way. I mean, the other thing, especially for women, because of the way our bodies are designed to be receptive, it can be really hard for us if something's not feeling good, right? We don't speak up because we don't want to hurt their feelings or we don't know how to speak up. So we just go along with it. And then we end up tolerating something that doesn't feel so great. And over time, we shut down to sex. So it's really critical to our pleasure as women to learn how to engage our voice. The voice is connected with the vagina. These two things are actually one. We have two mouths, right? We have the opening Mm. to the vagina and we have the mouth on our face. Men have two heads, (laughs) the one up top and the one down below, right? So we're equal and opposite. So for women, the voice is highly connected to our sexual energy and our capacity for pleasure. Mm. And on a spiritual note, I would imagine that this means that anyone struggling with their throat chakra might also struggle sexually. Absolutely. Yeah. And a beautiful way to work with that is just through like vocal toning. You know, just, just mm. uh, like actually just playing with the voice mm-hmm. and opening the voice and in practicing making noise when you're being intimate, making sound, opening the throat opens the vagina. So it, those two are highly correlated. Yes. Wow. 
And you just mentioned something that can be quite vulnerable for a lot of people, and that is having a sexual partner that says no to something. And I imagine that for a lot of people, or for most of us, that can cause some significant sexual tension in a relationship. Can you talk about creating safety instead of rejection so that we don't unintentionally shut ourselves down from pleasure and intimacy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to, I think, reframe this idea of rejection, first of all. And this really comes down to the conversation of this really like a refinement of understanding the difference between being in a state of desire where you're wanting something, right? I want this thing. I want you to do this thing to me, or I want to experience this certain thing, right? I'm wanting Mm -hmm. versus being in a state of willingness. When we're willing, being in a state of willingness is like, well, it's not something that I want, but actually I'm totally willing to do that for you as a gift. Mm. And what happens a lot of times in sexual relationships is, We don't understand that fine difference of those two states of our beingness. What happens is we're both in wanting. So I might say to my partner, I really want this. Would you do this to me? And he might say, "Uh, well, I don't want that. I don't want to. I don't want that. Right. So we're both in the state of wanting. So what has to happen or what, what needs to happen really for more harmony and flow is for couples to learn the difference between wanting and willing. So if my partner says, oh, I really want this, and it's not something that I want, what I can do instead of just saying, well, I don't want that, and we shut the whole show down, right? And then he's feeling rejected, and no one's getting what they want in that case. Mm-hmm. So instead, what we can learn how to do is learn how to just set temporarily, I'm going to set my desire over here aside for a minute, and I'm going to check in with myself and feel in, like, is that something I'm just willing to give as a gift? Like, am I really willing and happy to give it? Not like, oh, I have to do it because he wants it. Fine. Like, no, we don't want to do that. But can I pause for a minute? And like, am I actually willing to give that? And if I'm not, is there something else that we could try instead? Mm. Right. And if I'm really not, then the answer is no. And then we have to learn how to hear the word no and not hear it as a rejection. Because if I say no, like I'm just not interested in doing that or even willing to do that. It's just a no for me. I'm taking care of myself. I'm honoring my own boundaries, Mm. which is not something that we're really taught how to do. We're not really praised for doing that, particularly as women, right? We feel selfish or we Mm -hmm. don't want to be a bitch, but really like if I'm saying no, the one and only correct response to that is thank you for taking care of yourself. So, so it's Mm. a lot of unlearning that we have to do around that. And sadly, you know, there's been a lot of train wrecks. I've been there with a sexual relationship where it's like, I feel totally rejected, felt totally judged. It was a total shit show. Don't ever want to, you know, go there again. Don't even want to try to negotiate a thing again in that realm, you know, with my partner, because it was such a train wreck. So we have to start to undo some of that and, and create some healing around it so that you can rebuild trust. And a lot of this is just languaging and then also understanding the two differences of what it feels like in the body to be in wanting or to be in willing. And we cannot be like, well, I don't want to receive it unless my partner is wanting it also. Like that's another pitfall in relationships. Mm. It's very rare that two people are going to always want the same thing at the same time, particularly when it comes to sex. So we have to really get more attuned to that edge of, all right, am I willing with a full heart? Am I partly willing on this part, but not willing on that part? Or am I really just a no? And can I honor that no? And can my partner with a joyful heart honor that no as well? And let's try something different. Mm. There's a question that comes to mind as you're talking about this, and you're talking about both men and women communicating their needs and this willingness versus wants. And you've talked about this in one of your podcast episodes, because I know you host Sex Talk Cafe. Yes. And the question that I have regarding this is why do we have that stereotype that women dislike sex while men love sex? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a cultural stereotype for one. We've been socialized to believe that. And the other reason for that is because of the way that we've been having sex largely we're mostly shown in media, movies, and magazines what what works well for men. Mm. And there's another side to this conversation here. And this is why I'm so passionate about, you know, educating women and couples and even men on women's sexuality is that we are, we're very different in how we 
open and respond to sex. We have different needs and there's a different way to open the feminine and help it become receptive to its own desire to, you know, desire intimacy and sex, sexual intimacy and, and even penetration and, and all of that stuff. So what tends to happen is we see what works well for men and we see on TV, right? Like the typical romantic encounter, it's hot, it's heavy in two minutes, it's over because the man has an orgasm. <laughs> and so, you know, the translation as women, as we see and get those messages, then we start to think, well, how come I can't have an orgasm that fast? Why didn't mm-hmm. I orgasm in that two minutes? But he did. So there must be something wrong with me. I must be dysfunctional. Right. I must have a dysfunction, a sexual dysfunction. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's something wrong with me in the medical community really feeds into that as well. Like we've labeled women as dysfunctional because they have, you know, lack of orgasm or numbness in the clitoris. And one study that was done, that was like the two main complaints. That was 50% of the women, 48.5 to be exact percent of the women in that study, that was their complaint. So they were, they were labeled as sexually dysfunctional, but here that that's not a dysfunction. All that is lack of education. So women will shut down to sex if it's over in two minutes or five minutes or seven minutes. And if they're, you know, their sexual energy, our sexual energy isn't really being warmed up. If our bodies aren't really fully ready for penetration. And just because a woman is a little bit wet, by the way, it doesn't mean that you're a full yes. A full yes in the body feels a certain way. And it's not just about being a little bit wet. So it's really about reframing or actually is educating. Women need to know this about their own bodies, that we have the same amount of erectile tissue in our genitals as a man has in his penis. It's just spread out over a number of different structures, a larger area. So it takes some time to get those all warmed up, to get them engorged. And then also we have to be able to get out of our minds and to relax. Tension is the biggest killer of pleasure and the biggest killer of orgasm. So if we're not fully relaxed, and receptive and our bodies are warmed up, the chances of being consistently orgasmic during sex or having an orgasm, a peak orgasm, go down drastically. And this is why so many women maybe have never experienced orgasm or maybe have challenges with orgasm and why we're labeled as dysfunctional or why there's that myth that women don't like, like sex as much as men. Women love sex when we're given time to relax and to open and when it doesn't hurt, like when our bodies are really ready mm-hmm. and when we're able to fully drop in and surrender into those orgasmic blissful states, like that's really where it's at is that deep emotional, loving, spiritual depth, juicy orgasmic connection that's available. We just have to allow space and time for that to naturally arise. And most of the time in mainstream conventional approaches to sex, that's not happening. So it works great for men and they're done in, you know, two to five minutes and they're wondering what's wrong with my woman. She did an orgasm and what's wrong with her and fix her, (laughs) you know, and then she's feeling bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm broken. You know, all that just creates more tension, which takes us further away from pleasure. And it just creates this whole mess. So that's really where that myth comes from. And that's part of my mission is to undo that myth and help women learn how to find what's in it for them, because there's a lot in it for us as women. How long would you say that most women need to be engaged in sexual activity in in order to get to their level of climax? And what do people need to do leading up to that? Like, is it something where it's like an immediate foreplay? Or is this like more drawn out throughout the day, like something we might need that's a little bit more subtle than our male? Such a good question. Well, the studies show if you want to know the data, like what the studies have shown. Oh, please. Yeah. (laughs) And then I'll tell you my opinion. (laughs) Um, the, The studies show that it's 21 or more minutes of foreplay, we use that word, foreplay before a woman will be consistently orgasmic during penetrative sex. All right. Mm. So 21 minutes, which I mean, yeah, think about that. Are you allowing yourself that much time? And then number two, it's going to also just depend on the woman, her time of month, the time of day, what kind of mood she's in, what her relationship is like with her partner that day, what kind of day she had at work, how she's feeling about herself and her own body on that particular day. So it could easily be much shorter than that, or it might need to be much longer than that. It depends on the particular woman. Some women are wired where they need 
a lot more time for their sexual nervous system and their nervous system just to calm down and to relax. Some women actually need a little more excitement to get the accelerator going. They might need to like go do aerobics or be chased around the house for 15 (laughs) minutes, you know, like, so there's different things that we need as women. We're not all wired the same. So some of the education is about learning how you're wired. How is your accelerator wired? How are your brakes wired? your sexual accelerator and your sexual brakes. Some women have really high brakes, right? If there's a lot of anxiety or a lot of stress or a lot of tension, that would be like, that's going to put the brakes on and it's going to take some time to get the brakes off. So you have to learn how to identify what kinds of things get the brakes off for me. Is it taking a hot bath? Is it getting a massage? Is it my partner sending me little text messages throughout the day telling me that, you know, he loves me or that I look pretty for each woman. It's going to be different. So there's the thing that gets the brakes off. And then we have to also explore what kinds of things get the accelerator going. So is that like, again, that could be little text messages throughout the day that could be dressing up in a really sexy dress or just, you know, putting on makeup or, you know, sharing a fantasy or reading erotica. Like we have to look at that for ourselves of like, what is it that gets my engine running? And what is it that gets my brakes off? And that's going to be unique for every woman and different for every woman and even different every day, potentially, because we're women, right? (laughs) We're not linear. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your thoughts then on lubrication and couples using that as a way to get down and dirty quicker? Yeah, I mean, well, see, you use the word quicker. So why are we in a rush for one? I I really want to ask that question to the listeners here. Like, what? why are we in a rush? Think about it for a minute. I know for me personally, when I have been in that mindset of like, let's get down and dirty quicker, or let's get this going more quickly, partly it's because I feel bad for needing time. Because every woman, we've been penetrated sooner than we were ready And it is a different story if we, I'll tell you, it's like night and day. You've never really given your body the time to open as slowly as it needs to or as quickly as it needs to, but really listening to your body, it's going to be a totally different experience and and it's hard to do. So there's that piece. So number one, why do we need to be quicker, right? Why not take more time? What, what would that be like? And what are you missing out on that you don't know you're missing out on because you've never really taken that time, right? We have to be willing to feel some of that guilt, right? Oh, no, like, what if he's not happy? What if my partner, you know, blah, 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 that stuff that goes on in our head and really allowing ourselves to honor ourselves and relax and receive. So there's that piece. Then that also feeds into the, you know, again, the natural lubrication in our bodies. If we're giving it the time that it needs, those lubricants are going to naturally flow and we're going to have less need for an external lube. Now, there are some situations where it's actually called genitally non-concordant, where a woman might be fully like turned on, totally aroused and even have lots of time to relax and all the stuff I'm talking about, but she still might not lubricate. Okay, so that's actually a thing. I don't know like what percentage of the population this occurs in, but it is a thing. So in that case, that lube is a great thing. And lube is, I'm not saying lube is a bad thing, but what I am saying is that, you know, there's also changing this mindset around how we approach sex and that we might have less of a need for lube if we had a different approach to sex and an approach that actually honored the feminine. Not an approach that just was all about getting straight to the, you know, getting straight to the goal. Like, let me get it in there and get into the orgasm, right? Just (laughs) the over-focus on getting to the end goal of orgasm. There's a whole other world available, I promise you. If you just set that goal aside, you will begin to have orgasms that are unlike anything you've ever experienced. If you learn how to just relax and be present in your body and get rid of the idea that it's about getting to the finish line, There's a whole other range of experience that's available, both to us as women and also to if you have a male partner, um, to your male partner. Men can actually also experience different orgasmic states that you can't experience if you're just sticking it in and going for the orgasm. Mm. What advice do you have for the couple where one partner does have a bigger sex drive than the other? I know more often than not, it's probably the male, but I actually know very many females where they're the ones with the larger sex drives. Yeah, true. I know. It's sort of the stereotype. 
And I mostly work with the couples where it's the female who has the lower sex drive, but it does happen quite frequently where those roles are reversed. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's such probably one of the most common situations that I see with couples and it's referred to like clinically as desire discrepancy. And again, you know, really what this is about, you know, first of all, part of the reason as well to go back to the previous question on the myth of like, you know, why, again, we have the stereotype that men are the ones with the higher sex drive and they like sex and women don't. Part of what's going on there too is I think it's 75% of men have what's called spontaneous desire or spontaneous arousal where they can like think about sex or see let's say a, a sexy image and instantly just be ready right then that's the mm-hmm. masculine sexual energy that's sort of the quality of yang masculine sexual energy it's hot it's ready very very quickly so we see that in this spontaneous desire right just as suddenly it's there and they just want sex and they're ready let's go Mm-hmm. most women, it's actually a mix. I think it's 35% of women. And then there's some other ranges with some of the other wirings, but 35% of women are what's called contextual desire, where our, our desire and our arousal is actually based on things happening in our environment. So that could be like whether the lights are dim or too bright, or whether the temperature of the room is too hot or too cold. Uh, it has to do with how we feel about ourselves on that day, how we feel about our bodies. So it's all about context and what's happening in our context, right? Is there a pile of dirty dishes in the sink, you know, and, and kids down the hall, you know, that we're worried about walking in on us. And so mm-hmm. we're plugged into our environment as women. So part of it is just understanding the difference of how you and your partner are wired. Women can also have spontaneous desire as well. By the way, I think they say it's roughly 15% of women will be wired like that, where they just are instantly ready for sex. And then the rest of it's kind of like a mix between the two. So that's really like a more productive conversation to have of like, if one partner is wired for spontaneous desire, they're going to be very confused by a partner. Like, why can't you just be interested in it? Why are you always rejecting me? And then that partner feels like there's something wrong with them. I must be broken or I don't know, or I just don't want sex. It's probably not true, but probably what needs to be happening is again, like I said before, we have to identify for that partner who's probably more contextually oriented in terms of arousal and desire. What are the things that need to be in place? What do you need in order to feel like you can relax? How do you get the brakes off? What kinds of things help you feel aroused? You know, I had one client who, for her, one of the things she identified, she had very high breaks and a lot of anxiety. And it was a situation like this where her partner wanted it a lot. And she was always rejecting him. But one of the things I helped her do was identify, A, how do we get the breaks off? And she rec- she's like, oh, I need to take a bath and I like to have a massage before. And then how do you get your accelerator on? And what she identified was reading erotica, like with her partner. That was something that really would get her juices flowing. And so just being able to have a different conversation around the whole sexual libido desire thing, they were able then to work in harmony with each other. Like he could know like, oh, she's home from work. She's going to need about, you know, 15 minutes by herself. I'm going to draw her the bath you know, then I'm going to prepare the massage oil and then we're going to read a rot. So they had their little ritual in their system down mm. and it worked. It was really beautiful. And then, you know, they don't have that angst that so often comes from that challenge. Yeah. And then that kind of handles that communication thing. So it's like you talk about what you need and then your partner honors that and allows you to have that. And then you're not feeling guilty for it because both of you have a much better sexual experience as a result. Exactly. Then people are actually getting laid, which is (laughs) right. Which is what we all need in this damn world. Golly, make love, like generate love through sex. The world would just be such a better place if we were literally generating love through sex. And that's truly, I mean, our gift as women, our capacity as women, that's the gift that we bring to the world. It's the gift we bring in to sex because for us, our hearts are connected to our sexual organs. So literally, when we learn to unify those two, where we're not shut off, where we're unifying love with sex, that's the greatest gift that we can bring to humanity and to our partners as well, to help bring that element of love into the sexual encounter. It's really, truly the gift that we have as women. Yes, because I feel like if you can say, this is what I need for my sexual experience, and I'm not okay with my sex life being okay, I really want it to be great that carries into your relationship as a whole. It's like, hey, I'm willing to work on this really awkward, vulnerable thing that I in the past maybe felt shameful about. 
And if I'm willing to do the work there in order to ask for what I need in order for this to be a mutual partnership, then why wouldn't you be able to carry that, carry that over to just how your relationship works on a whole or even how you are in other relationships that are non-sexual? It's so true. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, Brie, because these challenges that we have using our voice, you know, they show up everywhere. And just learning even the skills of willing versus wanting, the difference between those two things, like that will, that's been one of the biggest game changers for me personally, right? Just being able to discern that, like, I have so much more freedom and fun in my life in general, just understanding the the difference between those two things. I'll share a little bit of like a real world non-sexual example of where I've used this, like outside of sex. But I have got a teenage daughter right now and I love to take walks after dinner. Well, she hates taking walks with me after dinner. She can't stand it. So I, so I end up in these uh, power struggles with her, right? Like, oh, please, come on, just come. We'll just go just around the block. I don't want to go, mom. No, just, I hate walking. Oh, come on. It'll be all right. So, and then suddenly I had the aha. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, let's use some skills here, Susan. Like, okay, okay. So what I said to her, I said, hey, look, I get that you really don't like taking walks. Totally get it. And it would just be so awesome if you would just do it for me, like as a gift to me, if you would be willing just to take a walk with me just around the block real short, if you would be willing to do that for me. And you know what? She was like, okay, yes, I'm willing to do that for you. You know, it's just really brilliant and beautiful. And then we're no longer in that power struggle, right? Mm-hmm. And she could have still said, I'm not willing to do that. And then I would have said, okay, thank you for taking care of yourself. And I would have gone for my walk by myself. I mean, that's just the reality of life. We're going to have to learn how to hear no sometimes. But you can see how that little shift, it totally takes us out of the power struggle and trying to convince somebody to want something that they don't want. What a terrible place that nobody wants to be on either side of that conversation, right? Yes, absolutely. So many life tips with sex and related to everything Yes, yes so true. And I love that message of it it should really be about more than just the orgasm. Like sex should be this experience that can start minutes or even hours before the actual intercourse or action of intercourse. And how much more confident and empowered could we be if we actually owned our pleasure needs on a consistent basis? So what are your thoughts on masturbation? And do you think that self-pleasure makes actual intercourse with your partner less enjoyable? Yeah. I mean, I do hear that question from time to time. And I... I think in general, the answer is no, although maybe sometimes yes. And here I'll like, I'll make that distinction. You know, I think self-pleasuring is such an important part of learning our own body and learning our own sexual energy and dealing with our own, you know, some of our own emotions, like such a shame, like sometimes starting out, it's a little bit easier just to kind of start to come into contact with some of that just with ourselves right? Feeling dirty or feeling shameful, or I shouldn't be doing this. Just start to bring that online just with yourself and to just be accepting of that piece. Sometimes that's a little bit easier on our own. I think too, that masturbation can be used to increase desire and it can be used to increase desire, particularly if we are consciously and on purpose avoiding climax. That's actually a way to really build sexual energies just to back off from peak orgasm that increases our desire usually for sex. I think also like if we're maybe I think some of the concern too, and I think maybe it's different too for men and women, but when we go into climax and peak orgasm, our brain is doing a whole host of chemical releases. And some of the chemicals that are released, one of them is called prolactin and prolactin is the brain chemical that gives us that I'm done feeling like we'll release it after we eat a nice big full meal right? We're like, oh, I'm done. I just want to go like take a nap and go into a food coma. It's Mm -hmm. the same chemical, you know, when you have sex and you orgasm and you just want to roll over and go to sleep, that's the prolactin. And so that can actually sometimes work against us in terms of our sexual desire, because it gives us that I'm full feeling. But, you know, having said that, that can happen whether we're self-pleasuring or we're having partnered sex. Orgasms are also different in the chemical release is also different when we're with a partner versus when we're by ourselves. The oxytocin levels are different when we're with a partner than when we're just self-pleasuring. 
Mm-hmm. So, so the two are, are different. I don't know necessarily that it's going to pull you away from your partner. I think it really depends on how you're using it. If you're using it as a way to avoid partnered sex and avoid intimacy, then sure, it could be an inhibitor to partnered sex. But it can also be used to uh, increase desire for sex. But overall, I think masturbation is a good thing. And it should, you know, ideally be a part of everyone's repertoire, if, if for nothing else, just to learn our own bodies. I love that you say that because I've had conversations with people before because, you know, I just sit and talk about sex with my friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There there are some some women that feel shame around even buying toys for themselves. Like, oh, that's weird. Or it's just like immediate, their first reaction is like, oh, no, I shouldn't talk about that or I should sweep that under the rug. Right. So I'm glad that you said that because, again, I just think as women, we need to just own that part of ourselves and allow us to experience what men have been experiencing for hundreds of years. For sure, <laughs> man. And, and you know, I think with that piece, too, to look at where is it coming from when we're like, oh, I, that's gross or I'm not, you know, like, look at that part. And where, mm-hmm. what are the underlying belief systems and, and programming that you've adopted that's feeding into that response? Just to explore it, to not make it wrong, but to really look at that. Where does that come from? Is it that you're afraid to be a slut? Is it that, you know, you're supposed to be, women aren't sexual or women should be prim and proper? Like what's actually feeding into that response? And that's really a, a worthy exploration to not, again, not making that response wrong, but to just get curious about it. Like anyone who's wanting to work on their sexuality and be more in touch with it, that would be a wonderful place just to begin to start to challenge your own beliefs around it when you're having those kinds of responses. And if, and then choose it, if that's really the way that you want to continue, you know, it's, there's no, no judgment in that. But what happens a lot of times is we've taken on beliefs from our upbringing or from our religious programming from our culture that give us this, you know, sex negative narratives about our bodies as women and about women as sexual beings. So just make sure that if you're having that response, that that's a chosen response and not just a knee jerk reaction due to unconscious programming. Love that. And you're hitting the nail on the head about just limiting beliefs and questioning them and how that plays into your life. And that's a huge part of manifestation, as I'm, I'm sure you're more than aware. Yes. It's so you could quite literally manifest for yourself a better sex life by asking yourself those questions, diving into those beliefs. And so my next question for you is, what is what do you consider the link between sexuality and spirituality? Yeah, well... I mean, first of all, when I say spirituality, number one, it's, I don't mean religion. So I think a lot of people tend to think religion and what I'm referring to spirituality for me is just that connection to life and to love. And some people find that through religion, but yeah, ultimately it's life force. Our sexual energy is the thing you think about it. That's how we all got here. All right. We all came out of a vagina and I'm pretty sure a penis was somehow involved. Like that's just (laughs) the nature of the truth of life. Right. So sex is the generative energy of creation. And when we start to really connect into the energy, right, not sex just necessarily as an act just to get some good feelings, but really tuning in to it as this creative life force, it really becomes the energy of the all that is and what I might call God or the Holy Spirit or what somebody else might call, you know, the universe or higher self. Literally, it's the sexual energy that is feeding and nourishing all of creation. And when we're really in alignment and in tune with that force and allowing it just to move freely through our bodies, like that's for me when manifestation has really just become a natural outcome. I don't have to sit and visualize something and say affirmations 500 times a day. I don't do that anymore. Literally, I just feel in my body, you know, and I have, there's so much joy and things to sort of naturally arrive and show up in my life. So to me, they're really one and the same. There's not really a separation, but we've made a big, big separation. And some of that's just because of, you know, kind of the mainstream religious programming that has made sex shameful and sinful. And we really have a lot of that negative religious programming just running through our ancestral generational lines, you know, collective consciousness even holds a lot of that shame and separation around sex being something separate from God or separate from the divine. But really, in essence, 
our sexuality is the divine. So here's me I like to say around that, like we can't say that God is one, right? God is the all it is, or God is one, and then and then separate sexuality from that, right? We can't say our body is the temple, but then separate our sexuality from that, right? Those are two conflicting statements, right? So if our body is mm-hmm. truly the temple, you know, and and unity, God is one, or the divine is all one, and all paths lead to God or to love. I love to use the word love or life in lieu of God because of all the you know negative associations with the word God. But if that's mm-hmm. really true, then we can't say that sex is something separate from that. So mm-hmm. that that's how I bridge the gap there. No, I love that. And it's funny you mentioned that because there is this whole manifestation technique. And it sounds like that's what you're referring to, where you literally use the orgasm to help you manifest things into your life because mm-hmm. of the positive emotions and the chemicals that flood your brain at that time. And Mm -hmm. like you said, you're like, I don't visualize anymore. I don't write things down a million times (laughs) that I have heard so many success stories where people are like, that has been a game changer for me and my manifestation abilities. Like Mm -hmm. literally thinking about the things that I want most at peak climax. And that has done more. It's like they said they manifest quicker that way. (laughs) Like, like, I swear if I manifest, best while having an orgasm like I'm going to get it in a reasonable amount of time yeah I mean I think it's really true I think partly too because we're when we're really in alignment you're referring to sex magic I think is one of the terms for that Mm -hmm. yeah using it for manifesting and all that but you know the way that I see this is even more holistic like when we're really working consciously with our sexual energy and really learning how to be more embodied and more opening ourselves to receiving that life force right? Which is the divine, which is the all that is. And we just become a vessel for that to move through us. That is the orgasmic energy too. I mean, they're, they're one and the same, really just like living a life where we're becoming that, where we're allowing Mm -hmm. to be embodied in that energy. Then it just becomes a way of life, you know, and it it is effortless and it's graceful and there's, it's a non-doing presence, where we're just mm-hmm. in a state of beingness and it doesn't, you know, sure actions are required, but it's not so much efforting or trying or even a technique. Like I really have moved away from like techniques. There's certainly practices and structures that can be used to begin to open ourselves to this energy, right. And to be mm-hmm. able to embody it more, but even getting away from the idea of a technique, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, and living more in harmony with the flow of life and with the all that is everything that's around us within our field already as we just tune into it. And, and when we're feeling good and we're in an orgasmic state, naturally things come to us versus when we're less expanded, right? And maybe more in just a mundane state or a day to day, you know, I'm at the office and whatever problem solving, like we're not as expanded. So it makes sense that our manifesting capacities are much more in harmony when we are in that expanded orgasmic state and there's different ways to get there, I guess is what I'm getting at. And you mentioned something else as well in your previous answer about ancestral trauma or things related to sex. If you had someone in your immediate family where you're like, Oh yeah, grandma Miller told me how terrible sex would be as an older woman. Or when I finally got to the marital bed, you know, to bring a knitting needle because it was this terrifying experience. Is that still (laughs) showing up in our biology or is that, you know, how does that affect us? I mean, obviously there's going to be like mental fuck up with that. Just I mean, like... I'm still stuck on the knitting needle, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I actually, I'll never forget my grandmother. I mean, she was in her late nineties and she slept in a separate bedroom from my grandfather. And she was just mm-hmm. like, sex is terrible. Aww. It is what you have to endure to yeah. make them happy. And then you get to go on about your day as soon as they're finished. So just Aww. lie there and take it. It's right. Like, does that show up in the biology of people? I, you know, mean, I believe that it does. And I think it also depends on the, you know, we do epigenetically pass on through the genetics, right? Not the, necessarily the physical DNA, but the epigenetic, which is the energetic field of information that informs the DNA. It's the whole field of science. Obviously, we don't have time to get into all of that today, but absolutely they have 
found. You want this to be a five-hour podcast? I know, right? I yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they have actually found that trauma is can be passed through generations. And it's done, they think, they believe, through the epigenetic transference of information. Like, kind of like people having memories of the Holocaust, but they had like a great-grandparent or something, or grandparent that was in mm-hmm. the Holocaust. It was a couple generations back. But then this particular person having nightmares and flashbacks and vivid memories. So so I think it really depends kind of on that individual's experience and what beliefs and how they felt that can absolutely be passed on genetically. The other thing is women that we're dealing with is sort of the collective feminine, you know, and the collective wounding of the feminine, um, and all the ways that the feminine has really been that's been the narrative, you know, where we were not empowered. And in order to stay alive, like we had to lay there and take it and just spread our legs, you know, because we were dependent on men. And if even if we used our voice like that, you know, we could have been burned at the stake or, you know, wouldn't have been good for us as a way to stay safe. Women historically have had to stay silent. And so luckily that began to shift, obviously, with the feminist movement back in the 60s and 70s. And even now more so, I think there's a whole sexual revolution going on (laughs) for women, which is really wonderful. But yes, I think Mm -hmm. we're all women in this modern day, like we are, it's our task to heal that for our ancestral lineage and for the collective feminine, but we we have to do it on an individual basis first. We can't be out there trying to heal the collective if we're not even empowered in our own voice. Mm, I love that collective energy comment that you made too, because I think that's so true. It's even if it's something that you didn't directly inherit is the correct term there. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we are impacted by what's going on at large around us. And I do feel like in so many ways, not just sexually, but spiritually, cognitively, there's just like this awakening of women right now that is beautiful. And no matter what, you know, you inherited as a person, you're still impacted by this, this movement, I feel like going on. And yeah, I feel a little strange saying like movement, like, what is it? It's intangible. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, but it is, I think. It's the movement of awakening, movement of awakening and the movement of mastery. And, you know, I think that's just happening on a really much grander scale, which is really beautiful. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So I just have one more question for you. What is your favorite manifestation story? Yes, I know. I was thinking about this before coming on today because, you know, there's so many. And um, yeah, I think the one that I want to share this one is from quite a long time ago when I was in my early twenties, I just decided I wanted to take a trip to New York to go visit a friend of mine and just happy go lucky, like bought a plane ticket. And my boyfriend at the time was like, you're going to New York. Like, do you have, you know, you're going to need a lot of money. You need money to go to New York. And I was pretty, you know, like living paycheck to paycheck, you know, just total like bohemian lifestyle here. Like pretty (laughs) New York though. Yeah, like pretty broke, just living life. I had just gotten back from living in Hawaii for like four months and was just totally like in the flow. I mean, the manifestation there is just incredible, you know, just so in the flow of just like not worrying about anything and everything, you know. And I was just like, well, I, mm. and I just was kind of like, oh, like I didn't even think about it. Like I, I didn't even really give any thought that I would actually need a decent amount of spending money to be able to just get around in New York. Like you've got to do cabs and subways. I'm like, I just thought I was going to go and stay with my friend. You know, he's like, well, like, how are you going to do this? I'm like, well, I don't know. So I just like, didn't really even think about like, well, whatever. I already bought the plane ticket. Like I'm just going to go. The weirdest thing happened. Like within a few days, a check showed up and I literally got a check in the mail made out to me from someone I had never heard of, like ever, for like, you know, several hundred dollars, like enough to fund a weekend in New York City. (laughs) I, to this day, I I have no idea. I mean, I almost thought like maybe it got sent to the wrong person, but it was my name, my address, handwritten check made out to me. It was, it said that it was like some refund from some insurance policy. Like I'd never had an insurance policy and like, I'd only been at this address literally for like a month or two. Like, wow. You no, know, like my address wasn't, it was just the weirdest thing. And it was just like, wow. And I, my takeaway from that was like, again, like when we're living in the flow of life mm-hmm. and we're just being in joy, 
and in trust and moving towards the thing that we feel called to move towards, the universe can't help but rise to meet us. And that's been true of you know every manifestation story that I have. In addition to that one, the, the best outcomes have always been when I've just been not attached and in the flow and just enjoy and in love and having fun. And I just, you know, opened a beautiful new office space here right before COVID hit, or right in the middle mm-hmm. of COVID actually last summer. And manifesting this space was the same way. Like I knew that I wanted it, had been on my mind for months and months, but I wasn't stressing about it. I wasn't freaking out about it. I wasn't visualizing it 10 times a day. It just literally landed in my lap, just drove by. They had just put the sign up outside, like literally that day. (laughs) And here I am now and it's just stunning and beautiful and I'm so happy to be here. So, you know, there's so many stories like that. And I think that's just for me, what makes it, you know, it was sort of the beginning for me of understanding, like, it's just about being in the flow with life more than anything, and less about trying to control life and more about opening to life. Yes, I love that. And it's funny you mentioned that because I'm like, on this podcast, I want to bring in people that are sex therapists or (laughs) that talk about finances or mental health or healing, because manifestation is so much your identity. And sex is a huge part of that identity and understanding our worth. Yeah. You're constantly manifesting the person and the essence that you are. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if you have a vision board that you do on New Year's Day every year. It's like, that's not what's going to make the difference. It's how are you living every single moment of every day? And a lot of times it's like, think of that one person in your life. And I feel like everyone knows someone where they just seem like life is so easy for them. And they just yeah. get everything they they look for, and they're just like, "Oh, I don't need to worry about it. It's just gonna, it's just gonna happen. It's just gonna work for me." Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were able to get to that place where you're like, "Life just always works out for me. Life just always happens for me. I don't need to worry about it." And the universe was like, "You are so right. Here's your money." <laughs> it's really true. It does now, and I think I'd love to share just this one other little piece around that. Yeah, you know, really. Even though that happened to me way back in my twenties, I mean I, that really maybe I didn't learn the lesson or like, you know, whatever life got more complicated and got married, had kids and struggled and, you know, it was really didn't always flow. And really like the biggest leap that I made was a little over a year ago. Now I just really sitting down and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to say yes to the way, the way things are in my life right now. And I'm going to say yes. Like even if things are exactly the way they are, not that they were bad. Right. But there's sort of this addiction that we have, I think, to wanting things to be different. And what, you know, you're always just a couple paces behind where you want to be that like gnawing sense of more, 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 mm-hmm. which is really a painful place to live in. I just sat down and said, you know what, I'm just going to just say yes to the way everything is. And even if everything stays this way, I make the same amount of money. I live in the same house. I'm single the rest of my Like, even if that is true, I just say yes to that right now. Like, I'm just going to stop all of everything else and just say yes to what is right now and totally just surrender that and accept that. That was the biggest game changer in my entire life because literally within a few weeks of having that total surrender to life, and to the agenda of life moving through me rather than me trying to be like, no, that's not right. I want this instead. And being in resistance with life, it literally everything so much started to shift for me. And I live really on a day-to-day basis now, really consistently in that state of flow that we're talking about, mm-hmm. where I know that I'm provided for. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes have hiccups or get like, oh my God, but I know deep in my core, if I just say yes and open myself to the greater truth that wants to move through me, that there's no way that life isn't going to show up for itself, right? There's no way that life isn't going to provide for itself. And all I have to do is just get out of the way and say yes. So I think that's a really important distinction to make, especially when we're talking about manifestation. If we can say yes to exactly what is right now, the weird paradox is it opens up room for all of that more to start to move through in our lives in a greater way than I think we could imagine it ourselves. That is so profound, so fantastically true. I love it when people recognize that it's about letting go of that resistance and it's about just owning that the life that I have now is working for me and it is a life that I want. And that is ultimately the key. Yep. Uh, Wanting what we have. (laughs) Exactly. Stepping into what is. I love this life and I appreciate everything for the way it is. 
you are going to manifest more things that continue to make that true for yourself, which is only going to give you the things that you quote unquote desire, but also can do without. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the amazing information you've brought. This was so, so beneficial. I know not only for myself, but I know many, many people are going to tune into this and just get so many great tips. Where can they go to find you? I know you have an ebook as well. Please talk to us about everything that is Susan Morgan Taylor, your podcast. Where can people go to just dive in and really binge on your material? Absolutely. Well, SusanMorganTaylor.com is my website. And I also have a free ebook, which you can get on my website. But if you it's easier to remember, it's PleasureKeys.com. And that is the seven secrets of feminine sexual pleasure, which is all about learning how to expand your orgasmic potential and your capacity for pleasure. It touches on some of the things we talked about here today on the podcast. So that's PleasureKeys.com. And also PathwayToPleasure.com. Um, so whichever one of those is easiest for you to remember, that's where to find me online. And I'm also on social media under Susan Morgan Taylor on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. Perfect. And for those listening in, I will link all of that in the show notes. That way, all you have to do is scroll down and click in order to find any one of her social media, her websites, the ebook, everything. Susan, it has been wonderful having you. I have really enjoyed hosting you and I hope we'll be able to do this again. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Bree. This has been just such a delight to be able to share this wisdom with your community. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Of course. And thank you all of my listeners for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this topic, feel free to DM me at Modern Manifestation and let me know what kind of speakers or topics you're interested in hearing more about. Have a fantastic rest of your week and I will catch y'all next Monday. Until then, go out there and manifest some miracles. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with new episodes. As always, we would love it if you would share this episode with friends and family who could use the inspiration. As a new podcast show, we would really appreciate your honest feedback so I know what you like and what you could use more of. As a thank you for leaving us a rating, we will send you our seven weekly tips to create space for abundance. Make sure you screenshot your review and email it to us at hello at the T-H-E modern manifestation.com so we can send them straight to your inbox. 